Welcome to the 359th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with award-winning author Richard Thomas, novelist and short story writer, and author of three short story collections, Staring into the Abyss, Herniated Roots, and Tribulations. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Richard Thomas, writer, editor, teacher, and past editor-in-chief of Gamut Magazine and Dark House Press. He's the author of three novels, as well as three short story collections, including Staring into the Abyss, Herniated Roots, and Tribulations. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure. If someone listening isn't familiar with your work, your novels, your many short stories, and your collections, how would you describe yourself as a writer? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, when I first started writing, I would say I was probably more of a realist. Um, I came up, I, I saw Fight Club and got excited and went to the, uh, the website when I discovered that Chuck Palahniuk had written the book and basically started reading all of his stuff, which I guess you'd call transgressive, um, satirical. It's a, a weird mix of <laughs> storytelling that Chuck does, but it's pretty compelling stuff. Um, and that led me to a couple of other authors, Will Christopher Bear and Craig Clevenger and Stephen Graham Jones. So I started out writing neo-noir, which if you're not familiar with neo-noir, um, you might be familiar with classic noir, film noir, which has a certain atmosphere and bleakness to it. Um, Neo-noir just means new black. So it's contemporary dark fiction that takes that kind of atmosphere that noir had and um, doesn't follow the prescription. So it's not quite as formulaic. You don't have to have a detective or a cop um, or a femme fatale. Uh, It's a little more open. Um, In movie terms, you might think of movies like Mulholland Drive or Memento or um, Blade Runner. So I started out writing that neo-noir, more gritty realism, and then decided to get my MFA in 2012, and that kind of brought a literary aspect to my work, um, working in some black sheep from the literary community 
um, everybody from you know Joyce Carol Oates and Margaret Atwood and Tony Morrison to Cormac McCarthy and Dennis Johnson, Mary Gateskill, Haruki Murakami. It's a really weird mix of kind of contemporary literary um, outcasts and weirdos. Um, and then I'd say in the last, uh, I've been writing about 12 years now, in the last I don't know, five years or so, I've leaned more into horror and uh, speculative fiction, which is like an umbrella term to cover like fantasy, sci-fi, and horror. Um, so that I'm leaning more into the uncanny and the new weird um, with, you know, whether it's monsters or, you know, uh, Lovecraftian, you know, unknown and chaos, uh, you know, cosmic horror or just kind of um, unsettling uh, surrealism. So it's a blend of, of, of different genres, hybrid work, I'd say. So really the main difference between, I think, the new weird, which comes out of the old weird, which was basically Lovecraft and then kind of Clive Barker's visceral body horror, um, is that neo-noir is usually realis- realistic, so there's not much supernatural in it, although Angel Heart may be the exception to it. Um, whereas the new weird definitely leans into supernatural and um, monsters and, and the unknown um, in, in definitely in, in surreal and an abstract way. So that's kind of where I am now, mostly focusing on writing short stories, and I'm, I'm trying to write my next book, This Arctic Horror, um, but with, it's hard sometimes to write uh, horror when the world around you is, you know, stranger than the fiction you're writing. So, uh, sure. yeah, so that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> well, you've written more than a hundred short stories. I'm mm-hmm. curious, is the, the writing of a short story always the same for you? And, and what's that creation process like for you? Do you start out with an idea or a concept mm-hmm. or an image or setting? How does that work for you? Um, yeah, great question. Um, I, I, first, I think short stories are really important. Um, I encourage all my students to start out with short stories so they can play around with everything from, you know, point of view and uh, setting, uh, mythology, uh, your formula, your structure, first person, third person, different like loops and weird narratives. I think you can play around with a story, whether it's, you know, flash fiction at a thousand more words. I just got done teaching a flash, a flash fiction class over at Lit Reactor or like a, a standard story, which is, you know, up to like 7,500, you know, whether you're 3,000 or 5,000, or if you're over that into like novelette or novella range um, and then leading up into novels. So I think it's a great way to experiment with genre and play around and try things out. Um, for me, writing a short story, you know, now that I've been doing it for a while and, um, you know, hopefully have it figured out at this point how to do it. Um, it, I come at it different ways. I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm more of a, a pantser so I, versus a plotter. So I tend not to plan out my stories. I go at them more from <clears throat> one idea or one emotion. So I'd rather come at it from a concept or a feeling and then work my way forward um, from a place of uh, instinct and emotion knowing that, hey, I think this is going to be a story. It's going to be a horror story. Uh, it has something to do with doppelgangers. Um, all I know is that my character thinks he sees something. Let's just move forward from there and see what happens. Um, I'm, also, I'm also what I guess I guess you would call a method writer. Um, you probably have heard of a method actor. And that I try and you know become the character that I'm writing. So you know, while, while I don't always go out you know, and take a ride along with police or go to a morgue or something, um, I do try and inhabit the space of the protagonist and behave and think as if I were them. 
So I usually have some general idea of where I'm going when I write. Um, I use Freytag, Freytag's pyramid or Freytag's triangle as part of my structure, um, you know, which is a narrative hook, uh, an exciting incident, um, you know, that moment in time after which things will never be the same again, exposition where you build your world, increasing your tension, internal, external conflicts leading up to like a climax resolution, change and denouement, which is basically the epiphany and understanding of what had happened. So that's kind of the framework I hang my 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 artwork on my my storytelling on um but i mean how i get from point a to point z really de- kind of depends on the moment so i i try to play around and explore it and let the story come to me knowing you know knowing what i have to put in there to make it work you know usually what i teach my students in like my short story mechanics class and my contemporary dark fiction class is that if something's not working you're probably you probably screwed up one of the key things in freytag that you left a, a major conflict unresolved or we don't care about your character because you don't get us to their internal conflict. And we don't understand what's motivating them or your ending didn't work because it didn't align with your narrative hook and your inciting incident. So you're not really ending it and then resolving it and nothing changes. So usually when something's not working, it's one of those things. But I mean, as far as where I get the ideas from my stories, you know, it's all over the place. It's, it's what you see on TV it's some weird thing you're fascinated by, something you watch on a weird TV show, something you've seen in the world. Um, I, I wrote a, I have two stories coming out this year. We were just talking a second ago about, you know, what work do I have coming out? One is in Cemetery Dance, and it's basically a kind of paranoid thriller where the guy feels like he's done something really bad, but he can't prove it. And so it's all the paranoia and the clues and the things that are around him even to the point of him going to a police station and trying to confess, but they can't find anything. Um, <clears throat> so I like to play around with the idea of perception and truth and what we see, what we don't see, lies, secrets, that kind of stuff. Um, the other story coming out in the uh, Prisms anthology with PS Publishing is one of my first first-person plural. Um, I, I wrote a story called Asking for Forgiveness, which starts off as we – but I would say this story is more of a multiple personality story. So that's the first time I've done that. So I think having written, you know, 100, 150 stories, yeah, I do. Um, I have a certain style, right? You know, people know what a Richard Thomas story is that they've been reading me, and I try and make sure I deliver on the expectation. But above and beyond that, um, I want to write something that excites me, something I haven't done a million times, and then try and play around with with form and function and structure and genre and expectation. Um, in ways that can surprise the reader and take you someplace you haven't been before, while at the same time fulfilling the expectation of what I promised you from the beginning of the story. So, I mean, I know it's, I'm throwing a lot at you here. It's kind of complicated. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's basically, you know, what did I promise you? And then can I deliver it? And can I surprise you along the way and do something that is satisfying and fulfilling? You know, whether I'm trying to scare you or unsettle you or turn you on or make you laugh or enlighten you, whatever I'm trying to do, I want to make sure I'm somewhere in the ballpark by the end of the story that I've done what I set out to do. Well, I know you teach writing. Are there common mistakes that you often see in short stories with students in your classes and workshops? Oh, most, most definitely. Um, A couple things. Um, One thing is is a lack of originality. So you can write a story. It's a good story. But while it, when, while it technically may work, 
Um, the fact that we've seen that story done before a lot, whether it's a trope, you know, or like, you know, if vampires are overdone or zombies or werewolves, whatever, um, whether it's waking up to start a story, um, always relying, you know, killing people off as, as a choice, a plot choice, you know, just really um, doing th- doing nothing original. I think you have to do something original with your stories and your novels, whether it's the, the beauty of your prose, um, your casting of characters, you know, how, how diverse is your cast? Are you bringing us a different set of characters? You know, were we expecting a man and he gave us a woman? Were you expecting one thing and he gave us another? Um, just playing against type, um, different mythology, you know, instead of doing the same old Greco-Roman Western mythology, are you tapping into you know, mythologies from your culture and your place uh, where you grew up and your family bloodline and history? Whether it's you know uh, Japan or Australia or Africa or Poland or whatever, you know, I think of like the first time I read like a Wendigo story or a Baba Yaga story or whatever it is. Um, so I think originality is one thing that pe- that a lot of new students don't push for. And if you're not reading a lot uh, and writing a lot, you know, then you're not probably even aware that you're being you know cliche. So I encourage my students to read a lot. You know, if you're going to write horror. You have to read the masters. So you have to read all the big names and then you have to read kind of your contemporaries because if you don't understand what's, what's happening now, what's selling now and what's happening, you could not only, you know, be redundant and cliche and expected, but um, be writing towards a story. It's just being told a lot. So I think that's one big mistake um, is, is a lack of originality. And I think the other one is basically kind of what I was talking about a second ago is that something's not working in your structure and your, in your freight tag and the, and the mechanics of your story. So whether you, you know, take a really long time to hook us, um, don't go deep enough into your characters so that we care. Um, don't have authority. Um, you, you, you don't resolve the main issues, external and, and, and internal. Uh, your ending doesn't address the main issues in a, in a powerful way that's satisfying and, and quite often people are lacking the denouement, the understanding of what had happened, which I think is quite often the last, the last part of your short story or novel or TV show or a movie is that, that, that insight into what happened. So usually it's one of those mechanical things along the way. Um, and then obviously, you know, students, uh, new writers are just, you know, the formatting's bad or the, gram- the grammar's wrong or a lot of typos and mistakes, a lot of, uh, you know, tense shifts and, head hopping and kind of just, you know, rudimentary, you know, story mechanics that aren't working. I think those are probably the three things I see the most that get in the way of people. And then if I, uh, kind of a more advanced technique or advanced element is that I, I really like to see people who can figure out what their voice is and then write to their strengths. So while Chuck Palahniuk was a, a big influence on me starting out, I don't write like Chuck. And while I grew up reading Stephen King, I don't write like Stephen King. Um, Chuck's a minimalist. I'm a maximalist. Uh, Stephen King's much more of a storyteller, and I'm much more of a story shower. But they were great influencers on me, and uh, they taught me how to tell a story. So they're great, great storytellers. So I think as far as as being a writer, figure out what your voice is, what kind of stories you're trying to tell, what genres you're writing, who influenced you, what you're into. You know, not just with writing. I, one of the first quizzes I give students in my classes is. You know, give me your top five short stories, novels, authors, TV shows, movies, you know, even albums sometimes I'll ask them. And take a look at all that and see what kind of a vibe you're putting out there. Because you can probably learn from that 
if those are your influences, if that if that's what you love to to look at and and be entertained by, that might tell you who you are as a person and what you're going to put into your writing. Now, obviously, sometimes we we go to watch a lot of funny things because we write dark things and then we want to break from it. But I found that typically, when people list those things, it really is a window into their soul as a not not just as a writer but a human being, which might really help you to understand the motivation behind the kind of stories you want to tell. Do you want to tell, you know, hope punk inspiring, um, hopeful stories? Do you want to tell really bleak narratives that are cautionary tales and then everything in between, including whatever genre or hybrid you want to put together? Gotcha. So what prompted you to start uh, submitting your first stories for publication and I'm assuming that you probably got some rejections along the way. And what was that? Ex- what was that experience like for you? Because I know that some people who are interested in writing um, write a few stories, start sending them out, and then when they get rejected, they kind of give up. So, what what was your early uh, beginnings in terms of submissions and and trying to seek publication? And what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question too. Um, I, it's funny cause I, I, I know when my first professional sale was, but it, I, I immediately thought of being 22 living downtown Chicago with my typewriter in a studio apartment, sending out these short stories to Omni magazine and like how bad the stories were and how I got rejected. I was like, I was, I failed miserably. I didn't even really start writing seriously until probably 10 years later, maybe even longer. But I, I think those early failures that's probably an experience a lot of people have. Um, when I started getting serious about it at the age of 40, now I'm 52, um, I was taking some classes. In fact, I was taking a class with Craig Clevenger and I'd written some, it was a, I hadn't written in a long time. It was my first class in probably 20 years. And I came out of that class thinking, I, maybe, maybe I can write. Okay. Maybe this isn't, you know, maybe I, I rediscovered my love of writing and Craig was very supportive, had a lot of really nice things to say about my writing and he encouraged me to send my work out. And he encouraged me to send out a story called Stillness. And I was really kind of hemming and hawing. I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel like I was ready. I didn't know what I was doing. But he really was super supportive and very encouraging. So I said, okay. And I and I did all the wrong things, just like, you're, just like you asked. I sent that story to like the, uh, the New Yorker and the Paris Review and all these places that not only was I not going to get in because I wasn't good enough yet, but it was the wrong genre. I was sending them, you know, horror and they published literary fiction. Um, so probably the first couple of months of doing that, I, I just was doing totally the wrong thing. Once I started looking around a little bit and, and studying the markets and, and really considering where my work might fit, you know, reading magazines, reading online websites and really studying the markets, um, I started sending it to more appropriate places. Um, one of the places I sent it to was Cemetery Dance. And I, because I wanted to get into the magazine, I've been a longtime fan of Cemetery Dance as a publisher. I've been buying their books and magazines for years, my whole life, really. And I thought that's where I want to be. So I sent out a story and I got an email back from them um, saying that they wanted to publish my story, but not in the magazine, in an anthology instead called Shivers. Now, at the time, believe it or not, even though I was a fan, I'd never heard of the anthology series. So my first response was that I was kind of disappointed because I, I hadn't heard of it. Um, it was a pretty irregularly published. Um, I wanted to be in the magazine, right? Um, but I was like, yeah, sure, I, of course. Of course it was a big yes. Um, and then it was, I mean, not only did I get rejected by probably 10, 20, 30 markets before they took that story, but then I waited for probably six months or a year for them to announce the table of contents. 
Um, and then, and I was, you know, obviously losing my mind waiting for them to announce it. Um, but, uh, they kept telling me, you know, just wait, be patient. It, uh, Brian Freeman over there was like, just wait, it, it, it's going to be good. Trust me. And then when they announced it, I was in shiver six alongside Stephen King and Peter Straub and Keelan Patrick Burke and a bunch of other authors. It was really a, a, a huge deal to me. I, I, I cried when I saw the table of contents. I mean, here's my, you know, childhood idol that I'm going to be publishing next to. Um, so getting my story in there was a huge break for me and really did a lot for my confidence. Um, after that, I started submitting more. I use duotrope.com to, to track my submissions. I think it's one of the best markets, one of the best tools out there. It's like 50 bucks a year. Um, but if you're sending out multiple stories, you can really do a lot of great research. You can track everything and it really helps me to stay on top of it. When it came out of my MFA program, I, at one point I had seven stories out to over a hundred markets. There's no ways, like no way I could attract that to see like where where have I sent a story, where do I have a story currently, doing the research on what markets were open for what genres. Um, it, it's 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 a it's a difficult part to being a writer, but it's a, it's, a, it's an essential part to what you do. If you don't submit and stand up for your work, nobody else is going to do that. So I mean, I've had stories that have been rejected 10, 20, 40, 60, 100 times before landing in an elite market. Um, in fact, the, the, I got into Cemetery Dance, the magazine, twice. And both times I was rejected probably, I think the first time was maybe 20 rejections and the second time was like 40 rejections. And both times it took, I think, almost 500 days to place those stories waiting for people to get back to me, waiting for tour, waiting for all these places, trying to honor the no simultaneous submission policies, and then waiting for markets to take a long time. But then to get into Cemetery Dance twice, um, after bouncing around for um, a year and a half and uh, getting so many rejections, um, I, was, I was thrilled because I, you know, you start to lose faith in the story. But every time I go back and open up the stories and look at them, I'd be like, Nope. <laughs> I like it. I'm not going to change anything. You know, maybe I'd find a typo or something, but you know, when I, when I'm done writing my stories, I'm done. And just because editors might send me feedback saying, yeah, I didn't quite buy it. or didn't like the character or whatever. doesn't mean you have to go back and rework your story. It just may mean it's not the right story for them. I mean, your story could be missing something. It could be messed up. It could be flawed. Um, that's why you workshop. That's why you do all the hard work. That's why you really do everything you can to get your story right before you send it out. But once you commit to sending it out, never give up. Look for all the markets and, you know, horror markets. And then the, some stories are hybrid. They can actually probably cross over into fantasy or sci-fi depending on your focus. Um, that's also why I write, I write across broader genres. That's why I don't write only horror. You know, I write fantasy, sci-fi, and horror to open up more markets. That's why I write literary fiction. That's why I write magical realism. Um, so I can expand and, and, and send my stories to a, a wider range of people. But um, it's, it's difficult. Um, there are only so many markets. But, you know, if you, I think if you're out there looking around, if you use something like Duotrope or Horror Tree or something uh, or, or Submission Grinder, um, they're great places to look. You'll find it. There's a lot of anthologies. There's always open calls. There's open call groups on Facebook. Um, there's a lot of great pl places to do your research. And I would just say, um, Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Do your work. You know, bust your ass. Get your story right. Really make sure you, you got it down. Workshop it. You know, get, get your peers to chime in and do everything you can to get your story as as not as done and as perfect as you can and put everything you can in, into that story. You know, leave the blood, sweat, and tears on the page. Really put your all in. Swing for the fences. And then and then never give up on it. And if, you know, if, you, if you send out to all the pro markets and they're all full, then put it aside and wait for an anthology to open up. You know, don't don't settle. Don't just get hungry to publish it at any any place just because you're impatient. Send your work to the right places and, and, and believe in yourself. Great. So you've mentioned your MFA program. Where yeah. did you get your MFA and what was that experience like for you? Because I know that some MFA programs yeah. kind of uh, uh, are not you know, that open to, for lack of a better word, genre or commercial fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are, there are some programs out there. I went out to UC Riverside in California. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones is out there and uh, Todd Goldberg runs it. It's a great program. There's some, uh, I think it's Stone Coast out East. There's some great places that are open to popular and genre, but yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. Um, I got, I went to Murray State University down in Murray, Kentucky, because I had to do a low res program because I have a wife and kids and I had to work and I couldn't just go to school full time. So I looked around and applied to different uh, low res programs where you're on campus twice a year for like a week each time, 10 days each time. So you could just squeeze it in if you have like vacation, if you have two weeks vacation, you could just make it. Um, so that's what I did. Um, there, I'm not, I think the program may actually be closing down, but it was, um, it was a really good experience for me, but it wasn't always as supportive as I think it could have been. I got in there based on my neo-noir stories, which I would say were at the time more kind of gritty realism, you know, crime thriller, horror stories. And then immediately once you get it, once I got in, they were like, you know, they wanted me basically to write literary short stories. So um, I got in there and wrote the first half of my novel, Disintegration, which I would say is like a a neo-noir transgressive thriller, part, you know, part thriller, part horror, Um, wrote the first semester. And, my professor loved it. She didn't know the authors that were influencing it. So I sent her some books. She read them and said, okay, I see where you're coming from. And she really helped me to write the first half. And then my second semester, I went to another professor because you have to do more than one professor. And he who ended up becoming my thesis director, actually a really great writer, uh, Pulitzer nominee, great guy, but very literary. He, I can remember in class, him asking the class, okay, at the end of the first page of this book, raise your hand if you keep reading. And nobody in class raised their hand. And after class, he basically came to me and said, I don't know if this is thesis material, which basically means I don't think it's good enough, which was crushing to me. I'd already had a book published. I'd already published some stories. And I'd already written the first half of my book with another professor. And I, I almost dropped out of the program. What I decided to do was work on literary short stories with him because I did have a bit of that gap in my knowledge that my my undergrad work was in advertising communications with a minor in psychology. And while I did take some writing classes, there were some gaps in there where I probably could have read more literary fiction. So I took that time to study with him to absorb what he had to offer me, which was quite a lot. I just had to be flexible enough to be and be open to it, to take that literary influence and let it improve my writing, which I think I always wanted to do. And I think it made I think it makes my writing better to have that influence, to, to aim for a literary aspiration to your storytelling above and beyond just kind of um, 
standard kind of moving the chess pieces around the board. Um, and, and I learned a lot. I wrote some great stories. All of them ended up getting published in good places, including one that ended up in Cemetery Dance, um, which is the one kind of non-literary story I had in my thesis. Um, but I, I think what that helped me to do with my writing is I, I try to write on three levels. So people talk about genre versus literary and whether MFAs are worth it and whether you can be taught and all that stuff. I think that, I think there is a, definitely a benefit to it, getting an MFA to learn <clears throat> if you have the time and the money and you're interested. If you're, if you're up for it, go for it. But I don't think it's mandatory at all to be a writer. I think you can take a handful of classes with professionals. I think you can read some craft books and you can work on your writing, you know, out here with the rest of us. But um, when I write on three levels, I'm trying to write the main level is kind of the um, the physical plane, moving the chess pieces around where you write a story or a book that's just entertaining in a page turner. Can you see the action unfolding and follow it? And is it entertaining and surprising and compelling? That's one level. So I write my books and stories on that level to try and get to the broadest audience that just wants to read and be entertained. The next level for me is emotional or internal, where I try and go deeper and get you to care about the characters. So if I can get you to not only be entertained and you know thrilled and, and horrified by the action and then feel something about the characters deeply, where I might move you, that's I think going deep, that's better. That's the next level. The third level would be the, where the, I think the literary influence comes in, where more intellectual, more thoughtful, more thought-provoking, more philosophical, the intellectual and spiritual aspect of your writing, like in in the head. So it's body, mind, and soul, right? I'm trying to get you to work on three different planes. So I think the best stories I write and the best stories I like to read are stories and novels that work across all three levels, that grab you and entertain you and get you to turn the page while getting you to care and feel strong emotions and get you to think about what's happening so that when you put the book down, you either want to pick it back up or when you're done with the story, it stays with you and it resonates and it has that ripple effect where you can't stop thinking about it. So, I mean, I, I know I'm kind of getting off on a tangent there, but I do think that the MFA program can be helpful. I think you can learn a lot about writing and who you are as a writer. I think there are more and more programs that are open to genre writing and genre writers and her um, beyond literary fiction. Um, but I think there's also a consideration where you might uh, look at, you know, can I benefit from li- reading literary writers because they are, you know, they're literary giants and masters for a reason too. So I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to broaden your palate uh, with that as well. Sure. Well, do you share your stories with anyone else before you submit them? Um, I used to. I used to. Um, when I was first writing, I was in a group called um, Write Club, <laughs> kind of a play on Fight Club. Sure. And every year we would, um, it was like 20 of us, 20, 25 people, and you would workshop a novel or you could workshop a collection of stories. And like on a list of 20 people, say you're number five, there would be two people on either side, three and four and six and seven, and they would be your peers. And so you would concentrate on those writings over the course of a year and you'd get uh, extensive feedback. I did that for a number of years. I workshopped my novel Disintegration in there um, and a number of stories and whatnot. And that really helped me a lot. I was in, I was in um, workshops over at The Cult before it all moved over to Lit Reactor, which ended up uh, creating the anthology Burnt Tongues, which I ended up co-editing with Chuck Polinick and Dennis Widmeyer. So stories came out of that workshop. Um, and I've taken other classes online where I, you know, would workshop stories in class. And I probably took six or seven different sto- uh, classes 
before I got my MFA, studying with people like Craig Clevenger and Stephen Graham Jones and Max Berry and Monica Drake and Jack Ketchum, um, a number of different people that helped me. So um, for so for a long time, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I wouldn't write a short story unless I bounced it off of somebody. Um, eventually, you know, several years in, uh, probably I don't know, somewhere between three and five years into my writing career at, at Write Club. I basically realized that I, I wasn't listening to people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think that basically once I got my MFA and come out of that, I felt pretty well equipped to write and edit my stuff. Um, the hard thing with the workshop, and I, I talk about this in my column, my storyboard column over at Lit Reactor, is that not everybody's going to get what you're trying to do. <clears throat> not everybody understands you. And not everybody has the tools to help you with different aspects of your writing. So like when I was in Write Club, um, there were some people who are really good about uh, setting, and so I listened to him about setting. My friend Nick Corpon was in there. He's a writer. He was really good about all the neo-noir stuff, so I trusted him with that. There was a woman in there, uh, Pele Villa, who was really good with, with uh, the sexual aspects, and so anything sexy or erotic, like I would you know, ask her. So if it worked for her, I knew I was on the right path. Um, other people, like they're the kind of reviewers. They, they would read your story and, and peers and say, I don't get it. And every paragraph is like, what's this? I don't get it. And what I realized at the end of the day is that they're not my audience and they don't get my work and they're never going to get my work, but I can't, I can't simplify it. I can't dumb it down. I can't push everything to the middle and and make it safe and easy because then I'm not really writing what I want to write and I'm not swinging for the fences. So at some point in the workshop, I realized it was time for me to kind of graduate um, because I wasn't really listening to anybody anyway. And I was harder on myself than anybody else. And I knew the kind of stories I wanted to write. So at that point, having written, you know, 50, 60 stories already and having gotten my MFA, I felt like I should just do my own thing because it'll streamline the process. I know what I'm trying to do. I trust that my instincts are right. And I'm going to be harder on myself than anybody anyway. So I'm just going to tear it apart. Um, I think as you advance as a writer, your instincts get better. So that your your rough drafts become less and less rough. Um, I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't know of anybody who's a fan of editing. I mean, I guess there's. I, I guess there are some people out there who love to edit. But um, and I do appreciate it because when you're trimming a story or working on a book, when you go from you know hacking at it with a chainsaw to down to like a hatchet to like a um, like a chef's knife and then down to like a scalpel, you're you're working from the big to the small and you're trimming away the fat and you're getting rid of the things you don't need and you're fine tuning so that by the time you get that last edit done, it should actually feel really good because you're realizing how tight your story is and how good your story is. And what you're doing at this point is only making it better to the point where when I'm doing my last round of edits, I mean, I'm changing a word for rhythm. I'm changing a word that's ED to ING because it flows better. You know, I'm looking at the length of sentences, long and short. I'm looking at how many sentences start with I. I'm balancing it so that it's a more hypnotic, lyrical uh, story, as well as all the plot elements and the character and the setting and the depth and all the freight tag stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think workshops are great. And I think getting peers to look at your work, especially people who are, especially if they're a little better than you. Um, I think it's always beneficial if you can hang in a group or a workshop where everyone's just a little bit better than you. If you're the best writer in the class, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, like find another room, <laughs> right? Because you need to, that's the only thing that's going to keep pushing you and, and pulling you up and, and uh, trying to get you to go, get beyond where you are. Because um, otherwise, I don't want you to get stagnant and to kind of plateau and stop. 
Sure. Well, I know that you I know that you've worked as an editor for several publications, mm-hmm. Gamut, Dark House Press, and you've edited several edited several short story anthologies. What was the editing process like for you to be on the other side of the desk, so to speak, from when you're submitting your own stories to magazines and anthologies? Right, right. Um <clears throat> that's uh it's a lot of fun, it's a lot of hard work. Um I think basically I started out uh, I want to. I think that the new black was my first anthology. I had an idea. I wanted to put together this anthology of, of neo noir stories, and I reached out to curbside uh, curbside press because curbside books because they were uh, the the. I wanted to create an imprint with them, and so we. I talked to them, and they eventually approved it, and so that's how we created Dark House Press. So, as an editor. It definitely is the other side. You learn a lot. You make a lot of mistakes, especially early on. Um, the New Black was an anthology where I put together, and I picked all the stories and the writers based upon who I love to read and what stories I was into, and that was a lot of fun. I got basically every story I wanted to put in there except for maybe one or two from a lot of my famous uh, – well, famous, but my favorite writers, uh, you know, Brian Evanson and Benjamin Percy, Roxanne Gay and – um, Stephen Graham Jones and just a wide range of people it just was really exciting to put it together. Um, running a magazine and running a press is, is even more responsibility than that. So it's on one hand, it's, it's your aesthetic, right? I mean, you get to look at something and say, okay, here's my magazine. Here's the vibe. Here's what I'm looking for. Or here's the anthology we're putting together. Um, Cause after I did the new black, we did one called exigencies, which is all news stories. And we ended up getting a Shirley Jackson nomination, which was pretty exciting. And one of the stories in there also got a, a short uh, a Shirley Jackson nomination. It's called Wilderness by Letitia Trent, and then it made it into Best Horror of the Year. So that was pretty rewarding for me as an editor and publisher. But I think you want to um, you want to figure out your aesthetic and you want to publish the kind of stories that are kind of books that like excite you. Um, it's a lot of work. I mean, especially with the books, you have to read a lot. And with books, you have to read pretty far in. It's not the books that are bad or the books that are a bad fit. Those are easy to say no to. Um, and it's not even the books that are amazing. When you read a book and it's amazing, I mean, you are going to have to read the whole thing all the way through. And that takes a lot of time. The ones that are amazing that blow blow you away, you get done reading and you're like, yep, I want to buy it. It's the ones that are somewhere in between where you're like, I don't know. And does this need some work? And like, is it, is it you know, do I like it enough? And, you know, those are the books where you spend, you know, you're reading, spending a lot of time reading and then either rejecting or accepting. But I will say that every book we publish at Dark House Press is a book that I'm proud of and a book or collection or anthology that I fell in love with. And that's a really exciting thing to be on the other side of it, to get to put out there the kind of work that you love to read. Um, Gamut was the mo- my most recent you know, um, publishing experience and editing experience. You know, We did a Kickstarter where we raised $55,000 we had one glorious year. I probably should have gone. I should have raised more money, but at the time, fifty-five seemed like a huge amount of money to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes it takes time to build a brand and a following, and I should have probably planned to make that a, a three-year plan instead of a one-year plan because I think we could have gotten there. Um, the reason we failed was that we just didn't get enough subscriptions. We needed to, we got about half of what we needed, so I just didn't get enough people to sign up, unfortunately, to make it happen for a year or two. But I learned so much in in that um, with that publication. I, I had editor, I had other editors that I hired who would help me read the slush. Um, they would kick things up to me. 
we had to have three sto- you had to have three yeses or three noes either way and so i was always jumping in to be the third um if, and if some, if we were on the fence we'd have a discussion about it but i really what i loved about gamut was that we really were pushing hard to broaden the spectrum of what we were publishing so we knew the vibe we knew the the aesthetic of what we wanted you know contemporary dark fiction you know this uh new weird uncanny you know um dark fiction with surrealism and, and emotion. Um, and we were really pushing for diversity too. Um, not just to make sure we got women involved, but that we got, you know, a wide range of people from different cultures, different races, different sexual orientation and identity from all over the world. So that we're publishing authors from not just the United States and Canada and the UK and Australia, which were our biggest markets, but stories from, you know, Norway and Sweden and Germany and Poland and Japan and um, just a wide range of, of voices so that the, the mythology we got was different. The points of view we got were different. And that was just super rewarding um, to do that. Uh, just so many exciting stories. And we read blind too. So I never knew who was sending stuff in when I rejected stuff. I didn't know if it was a total stranger or a good friend, <laughs> you know, um, and, and we ended up publishing people pro sales, some people, their first pro sale of their writing career which I thought was really exciting too. Um, at the end of the year, I think we had a really good experience. Um, we published 60% of our stories were by women. In fact, I think our first eight stories we took were by women. Um, it was just a really good mix of voices. Um, editing is tough. I mean, you have to definitely deal with, you know, the um, like the grammatical and the the typos and the, 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 the line editing of it. But I think more exciting really is... Um, it's the bigger picture of the developmental editing. It's working with these writers to tell great stories. Um, it's always amazing and exciting when you get a story that really needs very little, if no work at all. Um, and that happened quite a bit. There are a lot of stories I took that I didn't have to do a whole lot with. But there were also a handful of stories that I looked at and I go, I really like this story, but it's not quite there. And I would reach out to the author and say, I want to accept your story, but I have to. I, I need to make some changes to it. Would you work with me? And uh, I want to work with you and help make this story better and fix a few things. Here's the things where I think it falls a bit short. I think with a little bit of work, we can really make this story sing. Would you still be, would you, would you be up for that? Are you open to that, to being edited into working with me? And you know what? I'll tell you, Jeff, nobody said no. Um, and those experiences were, were really exciting too. It's something I, I go through a lot in my classes where I'm working with my students and they'll turn in a rough draft. And we'll talk about it and we'll workshop it and we'll have our Skype call and I'll give them my edits. And that's the, that's the time that I have to, to talk to them about their work for their peers to talk to them about their work and for me to try and help make it better. And to see those stories go from a rough draft to a beautiful polished story that end up getting published somewhere and sometimes someplace really nice. Um, that's really super rewarding and exciting for me. So um, I think as an editor, you know, I am a bit of a gatekeeper. So I do, um, you know, some of my editors uh, were women. Uh, half our staff was women. Um, I tried to be open, um, but I also understand the responsibility and the role I have. So I try to just um, publish the best writing and encourage, We before we even launched Gamut, we encourage people of color. Uh, we encourage a wide range of people, diverse voices to submit marginalized voices that aren't getting the attention they deserve. And I think at the end of the day, that really helped us to publish um, a wider range of stories that that, if, that a lot of people don't take the time to reach out and, and ask for or push to get. 
Um, so I think there's a lot. So it's a lot of hard work, but I think it's a, it's a super satisfying and fulfilling experience. I think if you do it right. Got it. So what novels, short story collections or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh man, I've been struggling lately. I, I don't know if it's just all the chaos in the world, but I, I have not had much luck reading, um, anything that's really blown me away recently. Um, I will, for my uh, advanced creative writing workshop, we read the best of the year anthologies. So we do like the best horror, the best American sci-fi and fantasy, and then the best American literary. Um, I always enjoy reading those three every year. I've been teaching those in my class for, you know, I don't know, five years now, but I've been reading those, all three of those for a long time. Um, so while I don't enjoy every story and every anthology, that's quite often where I'm getting my inspiration these days. Um, from, you know, out of, you know, 15, 20 stories in an anthology, I might teach eight in my class. So those eight stories from each anthology, each 10 stories, um, those are the ones that stood out to me. So I, I would say in the last couple of years, I could tell you some of the authors that really uh, stood out to me. There's sure. an author named uh, Brian Hodge, who is somebody, it's funny, because I think he was actually in Shiver Six with me, or we published together somewhere a long time ago that I didn't recognize his name back then. But now, now he's a he's in the best horror of the year almost every year. He's written some stories recently that have really blown me away. Um, AC Wise has had a story, two stories, and I think was it last year, or year before. She has one called Harvest Song, Gathering Song. It just blew my doors off. I love it. Uh, maximalist, really weird surrealism, super cool stuff. Um, I'm always a fan of Stephen Graham Jones. Um, he has a new book out that I just got um, called, I'm, I want to make sure I get the title right. I think it's um, The Only Good Indian or The Only Good Indians. Um, I just got that book. I just ordered Paul Tremblay's new novel, um, Survivor Song. Uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's a novel, uh, not a short story collection. Uh, and then uh, oh, what else did I get? Um, I just got uh, Mexican Gothic. Uh Mexican cut. Yeah, that's uh, a, I remember if that's, that's Sylvia. yeah, Sil Sylvia Marina Garcia, Mexican Gothic. I just got that one. Um, and oh, what was the other one I just got? Um, I can't think of it. But uh, yeah, so I, those are kind of the, the things that I'm reading right now that are, I'm looking forward to reading. Um, Great. That, yeah. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your stories and novels? Um, a couple places. Uh, I mean, I have a profile on Amazon. Uh, my blog is, you know, what, what does not kill me.com, you know, which is the Nietzsche quote, what, what, what does not kill me makes me stronger. That's for all my kind of personal stuff and my blogging and uh, links to all my work. And then I, for my teaching, I have a website, storyvilleonline.com. Um, the vast majority of the classes I teach are online. And so I teach people from all over the world because we, you know, we meet up via Skype and we have a secret Facebook group and we email and whatnot. So Storyville Online is where I teach uh, my contemporary dark fiction class and my advanced creative writing workshop. And then my, my, my novel workshop, 365, which is you write a novel in a year. So those are my two main places. And then I'm on Facebook and Twitter too. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Richard Thomas, author of three novels and three short story collections and many, many short stories. You can find his work online. So go buy a copy. And Richard, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Great.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.